0: You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host, Ryan Blake. Welcome back to Give That Fan a Podcast. This is episode number two, and I'm flying solo today. I'm your host Ryan Blake. I do not have a guest on this episode because I want to take you on a little bit of a journey into my life. I want to invite you to get to know me a little bit. I feel like if I want people to listen to this podcast, it's important that you know the listeners are able to relate to the host. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an inside track to uh, my life and my relationship with not only the Orioles but with baseball. Uh, I feel like that's that's an important thing for me to do and we'll have guests moving forward. I've got guests actually lined up just about through the new year at this point. So, very excited for that. We've got some great names on that list. Uh so we'll we'll see how that goes as we continue, but for now, let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh who I am and how my relationship with baseball and with the Orioles uh has grown into to where I am today. Uh so we're going to start from the beginning. Cause that's the best place to start. When I was eight months old. So I was born in uh, December of 1994. Uh, so I was a little bit too young to remember the good Orioles teams of 96 and 97. I don't remember the Jeffrey Mayer incident. Although I don't like the man. Cause that's kinda, you know, you're not an Orioles fan if you don't despise Jeffrey Mayer, even if you weren't part of the crew at that point. But, I didn't remember those teams. My first Orioles memory of going to a game was in, uh, 2000. I'm sure I've been to games before this, but in 2000, I went to a game with, um, my mom and my dad and at least one of my younger sisters. I'm not sure the, the youngest was, was able to go just yet. She would have been one year old, uh, in, in 2000, but the Oakland Athletics beat the Orioles 15 to nothing. That was my first in-person Orioles memory. Eric Chavez of the A's hit a grand slam and a three-run homer in that game, and uh, so not the best start for me. But when I was eight months old, my dad—I haven't—I've yet to see this video, and I really need to see it. But it's a little hard when all your home videos are are mislabeled and it's hard to set up and watch because they're you know 20 years old at this point. But when I was eight months old, I was laying on a blanket on the floor of my living room, watching Cal Ripken uh celebrate breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak of 2130. Um, I was sitting there, my eyes were glued to the TV as Ripken was circling the stadium, circling the warning track and shaking hands with fans and you know, the, one of the longest standing ovations on record. Um again, I've yet to see this video, but my dad says it exists, so I'm going to take his word for it. Uh so hopefully I'm, I'm able to find that one soon. But that just that'll show you, you know. My dad, from an early age, was was trying to get me into baseball because that's the way my family was. Um, you know, my dad got it from his father, and my grandfather, when uh, when he was in his teen years, he played American Legion ball with Al Kaline, a future Hall of Fame center fielder for the Detroit Tigers. He was a Baltimore native, and um, my grandfather, who he passed away in 2012, and and Kaline, of course, passed away at the beginning of this year, unfortunately, but. They were considered the two best players on their team. Uh, my grandfather was actually scouted pretty heavily by the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he was invited to attend a tryout uh, with the team. Um, he was considered good enough to make it, but he declined that tryout. There was a lot going on at the time he was He had just met my grandmother and they were starting to date. He was uh studying business at the University of Maryland, and uh of course the the Korean War was going on he was He had a role in serving at the uh, Dover Air Force Base. So he turned down that invitation with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, it's, it's really crazy to think about how much different my life could have been had he gone to that tryout and ended up signing with the team. You know, it, Instead of Bill Mazeroski hitting a walk-off homer to beat the Yankees in the 1960 World Series in Game 7, it could have been Richard Blake. You know, My dad could have been rooting for the Pirates to beat the Orioles in 71 and 79 in the World Series. And I probably would have grown up bleeding Pittsburgh Steelers black and yellow. Which the thought of it just makes me sick, but it's it's weird to think back at, at what could have been, because you never know had he had he made it and uh, you know ended up signing with the Pirates and, and made a career there, that's where I could have been born and raised. And again, crazy to think about, but but back to my grandfather a little bit. Um, in terms of his his playing style, he was uh he was a top of the order guy, good on base percentage. Singles and doubles hitter didn't have a whole lot of power, but he was a an on base machine, always hitting at or near the top of the lineup. And, but his glove was was his real calling card. I've heard stories from people who know my grandfather, and my grandmother, and my dad. Um, I believe one of them gave him a comparison to Brooks Robinson in terms of his fielding ability. He was a vacuum out there. He played second base and shortstop, uh, second base at the University of Maryland. But uh, he was a, a great defensive player and uh, and Hit enough to to stick around. So um, he and Kaline, the two best players on their team. My family actually reached out to Al Kaline as a bit of a Christmas gift for my grandmother a few years ago, and uh, wanted to to ask if he number one remembered playing with my grandfather, and uh, number two if he had any stories to share. And um, he responded to each of us who sent him a letter. Uh, I sent him a couple baseball cards as well as a picture of him and my grandfather uh, and my grandmother at a uh, a team dinner. With that American Legion team. And, uh, he signed those and sent them back to me and, and wrote me a real nice letter saying that he, he very well remembered playing with my grandfather and he was a great man. And sorry to hear that he had, had passed away, but I feel a bit of a connection to, to the Tigers and to Al Kaline in that regard. But my grandfather was a scrappy player. He, uh, one time he took a throw from the catcher, uh, hit him right in the nose. And, um, He, he stayed in and, and played the next game. And if you actually look up the 1952 University of Maryland baseball team, front and center in that picture is my grandfather with a big bandage on his nose. Uh, he had just broken it the day before that picture was taken. Uh, so he was, he was as hard nosed as it came when it came to baseball and, and he really, really passed that on to me. And I'll get back to my grandfather, father in a little bit, but back to me. Uh, so ever since I was strong enough to really hold a bat, um, I had I had fallen in love with, with the game of baseball, thanks in large part to my, my father and my grandfather. I would watch the Orioles games standing in front of the TV, imitating every player's batting stance. I would watch the games on HTS, I believe it was called. I would fall asleep listening to, to 1090, listening to the games on the radio. I would fall asleep every night. I was too young to stay up late and watch them most of the time, but... So my my earliest memories all all surround the Orioles in baseball. Um, Whenever we'd have family parties, I never forgot to bring my little mini Oriole souvenir bat. I would spend hours just pestering my aunts and uncles, asking them, name a player, name a player, whether it was an Oriole or somebody else, so that I could show them their batting stance. I could do that for hours. You know, of course, I had my favorite guys. B.J. Surhoff was my favorite player. I loved imitating his batting stance. Harold Baines had a fun one. Jerry Harrison uh, Tony Batista, of course, and then obviously as an Orioles fan, I'd try to keep up with every change in stance that Cal Ripken would make. But I even love doing guys around baseball. You know, I love doing Craig Council with that big, the bat pointed at the sky, and Ken Griffey Jr., Gary Sheffield chopping the bat back and forth, Derek Jeter. I just, I really loved everything about that. And, uh, I still have that mini bat to this day, but for some reason, uh, about ten years ago or so, I decided to get it autographed by Brandon Fahey in some faded silver sharpie on the black part of the bat, and uh not that it ruined the bat, but Brandon Fahey autograph isn't uh isn't worth a whole lot these days unless you're really into obscure Orioles from the uh the two thousands. So I grew up playing Little League. I was always one of the smaller guys on the team, but I was you know, I had the fundamentals down. Um I could play anywhere on defense. Uh, i was I was good at getting on base. I was a reliable strike thrower, actually. Uh, my first pitching appearance came when I was eleven years old. I had never pitched before, never even really expressed interest in pitching, but um nobody on my team could throw strikes and We were in the bottom of what was the sixth and final inning. We were up by a run. Coach Bob had gone through all of his pitchers and he pulled me in from second base to try to get out of a base's loaded jam with nobody out. You know, give up one run and, and, and the game's tied, but I threw strikes. I struck out two out of three batters. I didn't allow any of the runs to score. I got the save in my first ever pitching appearance at 11 years old. And because of that, my team started calling me, uh, the rocket. And of course, that's after Roger Clemens. That was his, uh, his famous nickname. And, uh, the team called me the rocket and I figured out I could, I could pitch a little bit. So I still wasn't, you know, a regular pitcher, but I was that guy who at that age, Kids don't throw a lot of strikes, but I could get the ball over the plate. So when it came time for, you know, someone to just come in and, and and force the other team to put the ball in play or even strike a few guys out, I was that guy. And I didn't throw very hard, but like I said, I threw strikes, and that was that was really my calling card. But like I said, I, I kind of would play anywhere on defense. You know, being a, a smaller, scrappy guy, uh, I was I was small, but I was fast. And um, one time I actually showed up at practice on my first day with a new team, and the coach asked me. Uh, what position I wanted to play. I told him I was a middle infielder and he promptly put me in center field where I played 32 consecutive innings. Not exactly what I had in mind, but I held my own and I get it. Looking back, you know, at at that age, everyone thinks they're a shortstop. And every kid who plays baseball, you know, wants to be, I I hate using this name as a reference, but that's that's the way it was. Every kid wanted to be Derek Jeter. Every kid wanted to be a shortstop. and. It wasn't until later that we realized that Jeter was not a good defensive shortstop, but nonetheless, everybody wanted to be Jeter. So there were other kids who were a little bit more athletic than I was who would play shortstop and second base, but I was a small, fast guy. I could track a fly ball, so I held my own out in center field. So I understood the deal. Moving forward a little bit, um went to Cooperstown in 2007 with my Little League team. My grandfather tagged along. He never, and this this is another big reason why You know, I was always so, so into the game and always felt like I had the support and really fell in love with the game was as long as my grandfather was in good health. He never, ever missed one of my games. Ever. He would set up a folding chair and sit with a baseball cap on and his legs crossed in his khaki shorts and New Balance shoes with white socks about halfway up his leg. And he'd sit there watching me and he'd, he'd get to know some players on the team. He'd offer a little bit of advice when necessary and. He was always my number one fan. And it wasn't just me. He was that way with, with my cousins and my sisters in any sports they would play, whether it was basketball or, or field hockey or soccer or, or baseball. He was there. Um, he, he never wanted to miss a beat. And, uh, and, and I miss that dearly. I really do. But, so granddad came along to Cooperstown. And, uh, unfortunately, in Cooperstown was the worst offensive slump of my career. I went 0 for 16 in Cooperstown. Didn't get a single hit. And I think a big part of that was I was psyching myself out a little bit. You know, Cooperstown, they have those those short 200-foot fences all around the stadium. It's equidistant, you know, down the lines or dead center. It's all 200 feet. And I was thinking this would be a great time for my first ever home run. But I didn't have the power to do that. And... uh you know, it got in my head and I slumped, so I, I went 0 for 16 in Cooperstown. But I will say, I kinda saved my team in the, uh, around the horn relay. Uh, they had me out in right field, and, uh, I believe I took a throw from the center fielder, I wanna say. And, uh, it was a low throw and I had to scoop it like a first baseman. And then I threw a strike into second base. And, um it felt good. You know, I was a little guy on my team. I was a scrappy. I wasn't the best player at that point. Uh, but, I saved the day. We didn't win, but it could have been a lot worse if I, if I hadn't made that pick. Um, and that actually in 2007, that was a week before Cal Ripken's Hall of Fame induction in, up there in Cooperstown. And, and I really wish I had stayed up there, but, you know, it just wasn't in the cards at the time. It would have been a lot more expensive to have a place and, you know, but, but Ripken was inducted to Cooperstown the week after I was there to play a tournament. And I've, I've kind of touched on this a little bit, but as I got older, um, everyone around me was getting bigger and stronger while I was kind of staying the same size. You know, I was always the smallest kid in my grade, and I stayed that way when people were hitting their growth spurts and, and getting some, some meat on their bones. Um, so that's, that's kind of when I started struggling with the game of baseball. And I, I, and I wish I had used it as fuel to practice harder and get better, but, um, I, I didn't. And that's, that's my only real regret in life was not having really stuck to baseball when the going got tough, you know, I still played, I still practiced, I still tried hard, but, you know, I should have given it that extra push knowing that, you know, the kids around me were getting better and, you know, they were getting bigger and they were getting stronger and they were able to hit home runs. And they were able to throw, you know, 70 miles an hour. And I wasn't that guy, but I was, I was fundamentally sound and, you know, I had the potential and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I could have gone pro, not even close, I probably wasn't even good enough to play in college. Anyway, so let's let's go to high school a little bit. Uh, so I went to Mount Saint Joe. Um, I made the freshman team again, smallest guy on the team. Mostly rode the bench. I started one game, um, and in my my career at at Saint Joe, I had eight plate appearances, went 0 for 4 with four walks. So that's you know, 500 on base percentage. If you ask me, that's good enough to play in the bigs. But but what do I know? JV the following year, I had a I thought I had a pretty strong tryout. Coaches apparently didn't feel the same way. Uh, I didn't make the team, and not that I'm I'm throwing out suspicion of of politics getting involved or whatever, but there were a couple questionable roster decisions I thought with with kids who didn't really seem to know what they were doing, you know, at the tryouts. But whether they would have, you know, a, a parent who was able to donate equipment, you know, there, there's high school baseball and i this isn't a, a jab at st. joe either cuz this is this is the case all over the place with those fringe players but you know there's a, there's a sixth tool out there and that's you know what you bring to the table whether it's you know money or, or something else but i don't need to i don't need to get into that um so i got cut from jv baseball and i joined a rec team Uh, in in Catonsville where I lived, and I played with them for about three years. Made some good friends, and that's when I figured out. Once I got cut from JV, I started messing around with my pitches a little bit, and I figured out I could throw a pretty wicked slider. I found a grip that worked for me. It was it was deceptive, and it was a good complement to you know a not so hard fastball. But I was able to throw you know a slider mixed in some curveballs. Uh, I had, you know, I could I could manipulate my fastball a little bit. Either had some cut or some tail to it, which you know, was good for me. I was great at mixing my pitches. I always wanted to throw that slider in, you know, when I was down in the count even. And that's you know, I kinda fell in love with with prospects who can do that too. You know, that's I'm a big Dean Kramer guy and and a big reason for that is he's willing to throw any pitch in any count. So that's a big thing for me and so you know, I had a lot of fun on that team. I was I was the ace of the pitching staff. Figured out I could pitch again. I didn't throw very hard, but I was I threw strikes, I kept hitters off balance, got some strikeouts, forced a lot of weak contact and and I had some fun with that. So this is where we really start to get into uh, the Orioles side of things. I know I've been kind of just talking about my, my Little League career and my grandfather. I know that's probably not super interesting, but like I said at the beginning, if you're going to listen to my podcast, I feel like you should get to know me a little bit. And this is all part of the story. Uh, so, but we're going to get into some Orioles stuff here in, in a second. So in my senior year of high school, it was February of 2012, Uh, I was invited to, uh, at homeroom, they had an interest meeting for the Orioles tarp crew. And um, I went to the meeting, I filled out some paperwork, went down for an interview at the stadium, and I was one of four new people that they hired that year. And uh, of course, going into that season, I had no idea that it would be the first winning season of Orioles baseball that I would remember in my life. Like I said, I didn't remember the 96 or 97 teams. I was too young for that, but 2012, the Orioles made the playoffs for the first time since 97, and I got to be part of the action. You know, I worked, my, my office was Camden Yards. I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that. And man, I, I'm sure as this, as this podcast progresses, I'm going to tell a lot of, a lot of TARP crew stories, but, you know, it just so many little things. Like, I would have done that job for free. And I know that's, that's kind of cliche, but, you know, as a senior in high school and a kid who grew up absolutely loving the Baltimore Orioles, and, you know, idolizing the players and, and going to games and sitting in the stands and watching those teams, getting to be part of the action, getting to be on the field, you know, pregame and postgame and, and sitting in that cage in right field during games was just awesome. I mean, you know, we got to play. We had a basketball hoop set up in the in the uh, TARP crew shed, and we got to play, you know, knockout and horse with, you know, Tommy Hunter, Darren O'Day, William Chen, a bunch of guys like that would, would come in and play some basketball with us, you know standing down with the the open shed down the right field line during batting practice and getting to show off my arm when there was a ball hit down our way and I got to throw it back into the infield or to the the screen in center field you know that was I was I was a kid in a candy store with that job i mean we were sitting in the cage when Mike Trout made that made that catch over the southwest sign to Rob JJ J. Hardy the catch that i'm sure you've seen hundreds of times by now cuz it's in every Mike Trout highlight reel you can find but i we had a front row seat to that. It was you know fifty feet away from us to our right, and you know we were kind of chirping trout a little bit throughout the rest of that game, just having some fun with it and He actually followed some of us on Twitter after the game that night uh and he's a he, little humble brag he still follows me we're We're cool. I wished him happy birthday once, and he said ha ha thanks, man, So Mike trout and I are tight um <laughs> but but that that was cool to be to feel like part of that history um. There's a story about Nick Swisher that I'll, I'll tell when the time is right, but man, that's a good one. I've told it on section 336, I believe. Um, but I've, I've got a great Nick Swisher story that involves me calling him a mean name on Twitter and him trying to, uh, basically get me fired. He really, really, he really did try to get me fired. But uh, again, that's a story for another time. Um, you know, celebrating with the relief pitchers in the bullpen after home runs was cool. There were always two grounds crew, tarp crew guys over in the bullpen during games to, to take care of the gate and center field. Um, you know, celebrating with those guys. Becoming, fr- I became friends with Pedro Strope. Um, he thought my, my shaggy hair made me look like Tim Lincecum. It was actually Kyle Andrews, who writes for the Baltimore Sun. I'm sure many of you are familiar with, with Kyle. Uh, he's been one of my best friends since high school, but it was Kyle who, who worked on the TARP crew with us, who took me over on my very first day, on opening day, stood next to me in front of all the relief pitchers in the bullpen. They were all just sitting there. And Kyle puts his shoulder, puts his arm around me. And keep in mind, Kyle's like a foot and a half taller than me at this point. But anyway, um, Kyle just points at me and goes, Tim Lincecum. And everybody in the bullpen was like, oh, he he looks just like him, blah, blah. And then Pedro stroped the rest of the crew every time he'd see me. He'd give me a fist bump and call me, Tim Lincecum. And uh, Pedro was my guy. I, I actually ran into him at FanFest the following year. And he was, he was walking through the crowd signing some autographs. And, and when he made eye contact with me from like 20 or 30 feet away, he he started ignoring everybody around him and walked straight to me to come say hello and ask how I was doing. And, you know, it's, it, it felt, again, I was, a, I was a kid in a candy store with, with that job. It was, it was a dream come true. Just getting to work on the field there. Um, I got a girl's number for Luis Ayala one time. He sent me over to the center field bleachers with a baseball and had a girl write her phone number on it for him. I got to run Mariana Rivera's jacket to the Yankees' dugout. I followed him out of the bullpen as he went in to convert his 603rd career save in April of 2012. I got to follow Mariano Rivera... Did you hear? I got to follow Mariano Rivera out of the bullpen. And granted, I was just a kid carrying his jacket. But man, Mariano's... Pre- I mean, he's a unanimous Hall of Famer. And Moe's presence walking onto the field for a save, as much as I, I dislike the Yankees, that was one of the coolest, coolest moments of my life. I got back to the bullpen and, and watched him convert to save. I was like, I just got to run onto the field with Mariana Rivera. I mean, I I know I keep kind of hammering that home, but I mean, it just, it was the coolest experience. And there are just so many other things. And again, I'll I'll tell more stories about, about the grounds crew in, in later episodes. But, you know, being there for Cal Statue Night, the first time I had ever heard, more boos than cheers when the Yankees lineup was introduced at Camden Yards. First time ever in my life that I could remember that. Because, obviously, the Yankees always, they travel well. They've got fans everywhere. And it's it's cheaper and it's nicer than Yankee Stadium. So I can't really fault them. Can't really fault them for that. But that game, September 6, 2012, Cal Statue Night, was the first time ever that I heard more boos for the Yankees lineup than cheers. And just I soaked it all in man I was I was in the infield holding up the hose when uh when when the lineups were introduced and Alex Rodriguez's name was announced and I was expecting cheers from all the Yankee fans and instead it was a chorus of boos and it, man it was just so cool and then the 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 real highlight of that year for me though was running onto the field to pull the tarp before game 1 of the ALDS against the Yankees long rain delay before that game And before we ran out on the field, you know, everyone stuck around. It's a playoff game. You're not going to leave early. We knew we were going to play. But it was about 930 at night, and the TARP crew coordinator, Rob, pulled us all together into a huddle in uh, in the grounds crew garage and said, you know what, guys? I've waited my whole life for this. Let's go have the best damn TARP pool we can do. And we were pumped, and we sprinted out on the field, and I had tears of adrenaline streaming down my face. The crowd erupted. 47,000 people erupted for us to run and pull the tarp off the field because they knew the playoff baseball was about to happen in Baltimore. And, man, that's uh, – I could I could go on and on about, about tarp crew stories. But, like I said, that's a job I would have done for free. Hands down, best summer of my life. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, 2016, I worked as a bat boy for the Bowie Bay Sox. Um, that was another really fun job, fun being hands-on there, working in the clubhouse, working on the field. Dressing up like the players, you know, we wore baseball pants and 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 base jerseys, and uh, sometimes little young fans would even ask for autographs because we were dressed like players. And I signed an autograph here and there, but I made sure to tell them I was like, you know, I'm not a player, right? And they'd be like, oh, it's okay, just go ahead and sign. So that was cool, you know, becoming close with some of the players. I mean, I became friends with with Jimmy Yacobonis and and Parker Bridwell and Jason Garcia. You know, I I I talked a lot with with Alan Mills, who was was really nice. He tipped me 20 bucks at the end of the year which was which was really cool of him. He didn't have to do that, but I mentioned Jason Garcia. I got to play catch with him and he tried to teach me how to throw his changeup. Uh he had me put it, you know, as far back in my palm as I possibly could and then I, I messed with the grip a little bit and you know he tried to teach me but it's one of those pitches where when it's that deep in your palm, you feel like you're going to spike it every time and you know sure enough I spiked it just about every time but getting to play catch with him was cool. I got to throw a baseball to Brian Dunsing when he was on the mound. He needed a different warm-up ball because he was on a rehab assignment and I almost overthrew him. That was fun v j surhoff was working with with the Orioles at the time as a as a minor league i guess i guess like a minor league consultant or something but I mean that was my my favorite player when I was a kid and there was one day I was um grabbing a snack in the in the kitchen and and he walked in with his coffee and went for a bag of peanut m and m s. Just me and him in the kitchen. Me, a kid, and BJ Surhoff, who was my favorite player. And I asked him if he... He put he, he took the, the peanut M&Ms and he put them in his coffee. And I asked him, I was like, do you always do that? And he goes, oh yeah, it's amazing. BJ Serhoff told me that he likes to put peanut M&Ms in his coffee. I mean, it was awesome. You know, I got to shag balls during batting practice. I actually called... All, <laughs> this was one of the more embarrassing moments of my life because I, you know, I didn't think, I didn't consider how serious batting practice was for these guys, especially when they're trying to get work in in the outfield. And Henry Arrudia was out there and uh I was, you know, I was relatively far away from him, but there was a fly ball hit in my direction and, and Arudia was tracking it and coming over. And I called him off. <laughs> I called off Henry Arudia in the outfield and he kind of looked at me like and Henry's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, I hadn't officially met him at that point yet, but he kind of looked at me like who is this kid who just called me and he just kind of gave me that kind of expression and and you know walked back about his business and one of the other bad boys came over to me and was like, "Hey man, don't do that. Only only get the ball if you're the only guy in the area and especially don't call off a major league outfielder. Like you can't do that." Another another super cool moment from that year was uh Caleb Joseph was on rehab after he uh that unfortunate industry in industry unfortunate injury when he uh ruptured his his testicles. That was a fun one. He had surgery and everything, had to wear a Kevlar cup, but um he was on a rehab assignment in Bowie and I remember one day I walked into the clubhouse and um I didn't actually get a chance to see them, but I I heard that he had been going around kind of showing off his scar which I, I thought was pretty funny. Um, but after that game, we were, we were in the clubhouse, and, and they had a TV in there, and the Orioles had just finished a game as well, and Buck Showalter was doing his post-game press conference. And there Caleb Joseph was sitting two feet away from the TV, sitting on the floor with his legs crossed, just watching intently as Buck Showalter talked about his, his post-game press conference. And, you know, being, being part of that, you know, little things like that where, you know, you grow up, you grow up idolizing these kind of guys especially being you know being an Orioles fan you look up to these these guys and you never expect that you're ever going to get an inside look at at the way things go you think about like kids collecting autographs right that's the closest you're going to get to a player is when they're you know signing some autographs and and they get to you and maybe you get a chance to say hi but i never imagined myself actually working on the Orioles tarp crew, working on the field at Bowie in the clubhouse and, you know, being really a part of that action and, and you know, listening to, to players talk to each other about different things they could do differently on the field and just kind of being a sponge and, you know, little things like watching Caleb Joseph watching Buck Showalter's press conference. It was just, it was super cool. And I, you know, those are the moments when I would really sit back and think about how lucky I was to to really be part of that. So let's move forward a little bit more. Spring of 2017, I was part of uh, the Chevy Tour, which is an annual tour run by Ripken Baseball, where uh, Chevrolet puts on free youth baseball clinics all around the country. And so we traveled around the country coaching these youth clinics, and it was an absolute blast. We had a ton of fun along the way. Got to go to a bunch of new major league stadiums. Uh, saw some college games, saw some high school games, got to explore all these new cities. Uh, I fell in love with Nashville. I got a speeding ticket in Wyoming. I got drunk and lost from from my friends in downtown San Antonio. Just so many stories from from that as well. And that tour was really when I started to think that maybe seeing all thirty major league stadiums might be attainable. Uh, some of our clinics were actually at major league stadiums, which was cool in and of itself, but we were going to games in every city we were in if, if the, you know, major league team was at home. And, uh, I really started to think that maybe I, I would get to cross that off my bucket list, seeing all 30 stadiums. And at this point, I've been to, uh, 20, well, 26 now, I guess, because the Rangers got a new stadium. But, uh, the only ones I'm missing, I guess, are new Globe Life Field in, in Arlington, T-Mobile Park out in Seattle. Tropicana Field in Tampa, which is odd because I've been to Tampa many times. It just has never lined up with a Rays home game. Um, I've been down there for spring training a lot, seen some Tampa Bay Lightning games. Shout out Stanley Cup champions, my favorite team. Uh, But never actually been to a game at Tropicana Field. And then uh, Miller Park in Milwaukee. Uh, So those are the three plus globe life that I have yet to see. Um, And a big part of that was having gone on the Chevy Tour in 2017 and having this opportunity uh, to see all these new stadiums. So all along the way at this point, um, I had been kind of trying to make a name for myself in Orioles, Twitter, Orioles, social media circles. Um, I had started contributing to Utah street report in 2012. Uh, for a time I was a contributor for baseball essential. Um, I started a podcast with a friend of mine and we, we did about 10 episodes before we kind of had a little bit of a falling out. We're cool now, but, uh, we, we, we stopped doing that after a bit, but, you know, I had appeared on podcasts with Section 336 and Bird's Eye View, and I was the co-host of, or one of the co-hosts of the Baseball Fam podcast with my buddies Shane and Mario, and at, at one point, they were the number one podcast, number one baseball podcast on iTunes. So I was, I was trying to make a name for myself in social media, and I always knew I wanted a job in baseball, but I never really decided in what capacity I wanted to work. For a while, I wanted to be a broadcaster. For a while, I wanted to be a journalist or a beat writer, or something along those lines. But then going on the Chevy tour and seeing, you know, some college games along the way and, and even just working with, you know, 12 and 13 year old kids on how to properly field a ground ball, it really got me interested in the youth of the game and, you know, the opportunity to, to find young talent and watch it grow. And, um, you know, even being an Orioles fan, you know, I wanted to, kind of play a role in in turning that around and and figuring out how to how to scout players and how to find talent and how to you know turn an organization around I wanted to be a part of that and um you know obviously they're they're doing pretty well without me at this point but I I made the decision that I wanted to be a scout so in April of 2019 I told my boss that I would be moving to Arizona in the fall to pursue a career as a scout at that point I I figured it was about time I stopped just talking about how I wanted to follow my dreams and actually did something about it. Uh, so in September, I, I was working as the maitre d' at a fancy fresh, French restaurant. Uh, I was getting paid pretty well, um, but I decided I, I didn't want to be in the restaurant industry forever. So I packed up my car, and in September, I left and drove across the country to pursue a career as a scout. And I was terrified, but I was absolutely excited. I had purchased a season pass for the Arizona Fall League, so I was planning on going to as many games as possible, uh, networking with other scouts, writing my own scouting reports, and just kind of trying to get a feel for how to break into the industry. Uh, I met with a couple people in the industry before I left for Arizona. Two of the, the, the biggest ones for me personally were uh, Frank Kalarek, the father of Dodgers left-handed pitcher Adam Kalarek, who went to Catonsville High School and University of Maryland. His His family goes to my church. My grandmother actually used to babysit Frank, but Frank has has a history of scouting with the Orioles and the Brewers and he played minor league ball with the Oakland Athletics and so he's he's been around and and he was a great guy to get in touch with and uh you know shared some stories, gave me some advice on on how to network, how to approach people. Uh I met with Craig Goldstein with Baseball Prospectus and and got some great insight from him as well. Um so I w- I was feeling good about, you know, the the possibility to network. And um You know, When I got there, for a while, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was going to these fall league games and just kind of taking my own notes, writing my own scouting reports, but I didn't really know what I was doing until um, I took a scout school course. It was run by Bill Bavese, who's a former Mariners GM. He's actually the guy who pulled the trigger on the uh, Eric Bedard trade with the Orioles for Adam Jones, Chris Tillman, George Sherrill, Cam Nicolaio, and the fifth guy whose name I can never remember because he wasn't as important to the deal. But, uh, he had a great staff of instructors with him, uh, one of whom was, uh, Chris Davis's father, the A's Chris Davis, not the Orioles Chris Davis, Chris with a K. Uh, but he was one of the instructors and, uh, he was very, very kind to me. On the last day of the scout school, he, uh, talked to me for about 20 minutes. I, I approached him. He was talking with somebody else. We were about to all say our goodbyes. And I could tell he was ready to leave, but I just wanted to shake his hand and thank him for, for his help along the way with, with instruction. And, as soon as the the other guy he was talking to walked away um i had hardly even gotten to to extend my hand out when he looked at me and said you're a bright kid you're going to you're going to do good things in this business and i'll never forget that and he talked to me for about 20 minutes just giving me advice and insight and i i couldn't have asked for anything more from that scout school you know we had classroom time throughout the day and then they would give us assignments and take us to games for the fall league and assign us certain players and things to look for and you know, got a feel for how to evaluate talent, how to write scouting reports, how to grade on the 2080 scale. And that's when I really started to feel like I could make a career out of this. So I made plans to attend the winter meetings in San Diego in December. I didn't attend the job fair, but I sent out about 300 emails to anybody with, you know, I, w- I scrolled through every team's front office directory. And anybody with some variation of scouting in their title, I sent them an email. And Attached was my resume, my certificate that I had completed the scout school from the baseball bureau, and basically the the body of the email was something that I wrote, that I wasn't necessarily pursuing a job, but I was going to attend these winter meetings, and I was hoping to meet with anybody as possible and soak up as much information as I could, and um, so I sent out about 300 emails, and I got probably 60 or 70 responses. Uh, Some of them told me to uh some of them told me they were going to forward it to someone higher up. Some of them told me that uh they wouldn't be at the winter meetings but wished me luck, and some of them said, "Yeah, I'll be there. Let's uh let's let's come up with a time to discuss." So I I ended up meeting with reps from nine different major league teams plus uh the owner of FanGraphs, Eric Longenhagen. Uh super nice to me. But it, it's that was a great time. Um, I, I shook hands with Peter Gammons. I got to stand in the background of MLB Network as John Heyman broke the news that the Angels were signing Anthony Rendon. I saw Jim Tomey, and I, I stopped him and told him, this goes back to the grounds crew a little bit, but there was a morning, we were we had an early report time because it had rained the night before, and it was windy, and the field had kind of become a mess. So we came in early to, to dry out the tarp and clean up the field. And it's about 8.30 in the morning, and I'm along the the warning track in the outfield just on the edge of the grass, going around picking up sunflower seeds, and the Orioles had traded for Jim Tomey a couple weeks prior, and Tomy was out for a little morning run around the warning track, he he had come in early to get some work in, and he stopped his jog when he got to me, said good morning, and asked how I was doing, and this is Jim Tomey, 600 home run hitter, Hall of Famer, one of the nicest guys baseball's ever had, really, if you ask me, and he was stopping his run to ask a kid on the grounds crew how he was doing. And when I saw him at the winter meetings, you know, coming up on eight years later, I I st- I got to stop him and I said, Mister Tommy, I want you to know you probably don't remember this, but and then I told him what had happened. And I said, I'm sure this is is meaningless to you, but I wanted to tell you how much I appreciated that and how much it meant for you to tell that to a kid. You didn't you didn't have to do that, and it really did make an impact on me and it made me a lifelong fan of yours. And he looked at me and kinda of shrugged it off and just said, It's what you do. You know? It's what you do. Just be a good guy. And and Tommy, as as far as I'm concerned is, is as nice as it gets and I'm glad the Orioles were able to have him for the time that they did. Just a just a great guy. And and all that is to say I recommend any baseball fan attend the winter meetings at least once in your life, even if you're not looking for a job. It's an incredible experience. Just go and sit in the lobby, and look at how many baseball players and coaches and front office personnel, executives, former players, reporters, beat writers, anybody who's everybody in baseball is at the winter meetings. Or everybody who's anybody. I don't know what that phrase is, but that's besides the point. Just sit in and and take it all in. You know, there are people everywhere, and I just it just a great great experience. So now here we are, um in March. March of twenty twenty. Uh I was staying on a friend's couch in Scottsdale. My buddy Tyler was nice enough to let me crash with him for a bit because I didn't know what I was gonna like I didn't know how long I was gonna be out there, what I'd be doing, so I I was hesitant to get into a lease. Um but you know, I did some Airbnb here and there. Um I had a friend of my aunt who lived out in Surprise, which was a little bit of a drive to where I wanted to be, but uh, she was nice enough to let me stay with her when when I needed to. But then Tyler in Scottsdale was was huge. He was a great help. Uh, but I was staying on his couch. I was waiting tables at a sports bar. There I was back in the restaurant industry because you know I had to make money somehow. I knew I wasn't going to make money as a scout right away. And then uh, March 12th, it was announced that spring training had been put on hold due to the coronavirus. And uh, you know it was expected to be for 2 weeks but we didn't know how much longer it would be you know the NBA had canceled games the National Hockey League had canceled games um college and high school sports were being put on hold as well and um I kind of realized at that point you know with no baseball and I was I was freeloading off my friend you know nothing was really keeping me out in Arizona at that point so I decided I was going to come home so I loaded up all my stuff in my car and and drove back to Maryland um Made it in two days. I took a nap in my car outside of a hotel in Albuquerque. I, uh, stayed, got a home cooked meal with a a relative in St. Louis. And those are my only two stops aside from, you know, the regular road trip stops. But so I came back home and, and moved back in with my parents. And, and that brings us to where we are now. I've just kind of been waiting things out. And it's, it's a bad feeling because you know, and, and I, I'm not going to get into a sob story here. Don't, don't worry about that. But I've, I've had these feelings of, of depression and not really knowing what the future holds is difficult. You know, when the industry you're trying to, again, this isn't about me. There, there are many bigger issues with coronavirus than me not being able to get a job in baseball. But with all these restrictions that are, that are out now and, you know baseball the instructional leagues are just kind of getting started up there's not a lot i can do right now and i think part of that is because i haven't been looking hard enough i'm sure there are opportunities out there but you know i've i've kind of fallen into this funk where i moved across the country to pursue my dream and it was put on hold because of this virus and so i'm kind of just in limbo now um things are things are fine here I'm I'm in a very happy relationship with with my girlfriend. We're coming up on 5 months together. Uh things are going great in that regard. I've was able to collect unemployment for a while and uh still doing that a little bit, but I you know I'm I need a job, you know, I need something to do and and I just need to to I guess put in the effort to to find a job and you know I'm running out of excuses cuz you know things are opening back up slowly but surely and and I'm sure there's plenty I could be doing, but you know, when when Derek reached out to me, Derek Arnold reached out to ask if I'd be interested in doing a a, a new podcast with Utah Sheet Report. Um, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. You know, he uh, I posted um, an article about how I'd been feeling mentally and about my mental health and and admitting that you know I was struggling and that I I haven't been able to find motivation. I haven't been able to find passion for things that I'm generally passionate about, and that's scary. And I posted an article about that because I wanted, you know, maybe someone else can see that and also admit that they need help. But um, Derek had, had read that article, and he said he was on a call with, with Tony Lombardi and Steven Adams, and um, the three of them all agreed that I would be a good fit to do the next podcast on Utah Street Report. Of course, Paul, who I had on the show last week, had, had moved on to PressBox. But, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I couldn't pass that up. And I guess that's all I've got for you this time. A um, little bit of insight into my relationship with baseball and my relationship with the Orioles. You know, I, I talked about playing a lot of Little League and rec ball growing up. But, you know, I did a wood bat league at one point, but at this point I'm relegated to slow pitch softball, which is a blast, don't get me wrong. Not quite the same, but I still get my fix in. And, you know, hopefully I'll I'll still be able to pursue this, this goal that I have and, uh you know, really start to take it seriously as I, I work on improving my mental health and hopefully that'll get me to a point where, you know, I have the confidence to, to do it because uh, I know it's something I'm capable of doing. It's just a matter of finding the motivation to put in the effort to get myself there. And that's what I've really been struggling with recently. Um, but, you know, doing this podcast is, is going to be a, nice to have a little bit of a routine. So, you know, I mentioned this in the first episode, but I can't thank Derek and Tony enough for inviting me on board uh, as their their new podcast guy. And, um, you know, I've got some, some great guests lined up through the new year. and. I'm uh, I'm still pursuing scouting, just not much I can do right now, I guess. So this is going to be a lot of fun, like I said. Um, you know, I'm still working on getting better at at talking by myself. I won't be doing a lot of this. It won't be a lot of just me talking, because uh, I I feel kind of weird just just talking to myself. You know, I've I've done this before with with other hosts, but um, never by myself. So every episode or most episodes, at least from here on out, will have a guest. Uh, for the majority of the time. And they are going to be some good ones. We're, we're working on some great guests. We've got some things lined up for you. So uh, for now, please uh, keep tuning in to give that fan a podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, Ryan Blake.